aphasia virus, secondary phase modulators, oh yeah, Lark's true pepper, flame the dark true salt, oh yeah, glass lunch, judge a bin to let it in, oh yeah, it's time for the plumes in mass decisions. Hello everybody and welcome to the rules of acquisition, a weekly, weekly podcast where we will be going through every single episode <laughs> of the greatest television show in history maybe or maybe not but or a very really good star trek television series sorry enterprise uh anyways yeah the rules of acquisition that's what you're listening to and with me as always is james nolan hey guys and hugh crawford hello Every, with every episode, it's getting harder and harder to say this is the best 20th century television show. Yeah, right. No, well, it, it's important. It, it Maybe not the best, but it, is it was yes. of its time and holds up pretty well as a artifact. And my name is Wade Bowen. Oh, yeah. And that's all of us. All right. And this week we were talking about uh, what episode? We're talking about Babel. Babel. Yes, we're talking about Babel, which was episode four of season one. It originally aired on January 24th, 1993. And the description goes for this episode, the crew and the civilian population of Deep Space Nine begin to speak gibberish when a plague and a phasia virus engineered by the Bajorans as a weapon against the Kardashians accidentally gets released into the station's atmosphere. That's what we're looking at for this week. Yeah. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, it's early on and they wanted to establish that they had, what was that original series episode, The Naked Time or whatever, where everybody gets a disease and goes crazy? Uh, yes, yes. That's the one where the famous one where Sulu plays with a sword. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the next generation version of that is the one where Data fucks Tasha Yar. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine is a show with obligations. It, you know, <laughs> it, it has to. They're, uh, they're obligated to. They're obligated to do the, the weird shit happens in space motif of Star Trek. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but. This time they do they try to like ham fisted job of tying it in with the overall arc of of the show. Isn't that about right? What do you guys think about that? Right. I think you're right. I think now that Gene Roddenberry's dead, they can do all these homages that they didn't do on Next Generation. <laughs> or though they did the disease crazy naked time episode, but did they have like a mirror universe episode? Uh, spoilers that happens later in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they do, and that's like a callback. They do a triples. Oh uh, yeah, let's not even get into that. Uh, also, guys, I just I want to start off on something positive. The next episode is Captain Pursuit, which is a great Deep Space Nine episode. Okay, <laughs> so uh, just let's just hold on until next week. Yeah. Okay, so basically, this <laughs> this episode starts and nothing on the on the station works. Basically, we learn that the station sucks. Yes, and being Chief O'Brien sucks because he's he's the one that's uh, responsible for fixing everything. Yes, apparently single handedly, he doesn't have a crew. He doesn't have anybody under him. Well, he does, but they looked like. Uh, did you see him when they were down in the pits working on something, and they just they looked at like hippies looking at a glow light? They were just like, <laughs> yeah. wow. They were just waving their little glow. 
wands over like a light board right. and they were they were just distracted so he was so his crew is essentially Miley Cyrus he, he's got to like, go do these things so yeah he's he's trying to fi- fix he's out of his he's out of his depth a little <laughs> bit here he's a man alone yes he is he's a man alone <laughs> so is everyone on this station a man alone for themselves uh, Everyone except for Dax, who is a woman for the first time in 80 years. Right. Yeah, we got sex positive Dax back for an episode. We did get sex positive Dax back. We got her back for like two minutes. She actually starts talking yeah. about what it's like to be a woman again. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. Dax gets to do something interesting for for the first time in a while. And nope. <laughs> like just about that time, somebody comes down with their jibber jabber disease she just got her adari and pudding yeah. and then isn't that about right so so what did you guys think about this episode overall anything you want to unpack right away i want to unpack the biggest mystery of this whole episode what the hell did that hippie klingon have in his ship that was so damn important <laughs> the most boring person <laughs> on the station you mean <laughs> hey i have a boarding yes he's berating <laughs> yes what was his deal? What was his... Like, at some point, I thought that would be a plot point because he was so weird and pushy. And he was clearly, like, you know, a hippie Klingon. He was yelling at O'Brien in the teaser. They did it again. In each act, they went back to him. Right. And I know at the end, he leaves the ship. But at no point, there was like, why the, why the hell is this guy acting so irrationally? Yeah, they didn't explain that at all. That's just life on the station. People are pains in the ass. He had to be somewhere. <laughs> just be <laughs> He had all his crew stuck in a airlock for days or whatever. And he essentially, they just let that guy die. They made like no attempts to save him, did they? Oh, they no, did. they made no attempt. They tried, but he turned it. Well, yeah, no, Odo pulls him out when he's the dumbass. Oh, oh, okay. Did and, I miss that twice? Yeah, yeah. Like, they're like, they tried, we're trying to release the docking things, but he's got his engine on so the clamps won't release because he's pulling against them so much. Mm-hmm. So then they're like, well, we're just going to blow the clamps up and just blow his ship away from the station so he doesn't take the station out with it. Yeah, but I didn't say that. Did, did Odo get him out of the ship before he did that? Yeah, he passed out. Or he, he okay. succumbed to the smoke inhalation conveniently right outside the little dock or whatever. Oh, or okay. okay. Clamps or whatever. And then, yeah, so Odo saves him. Okay, cool. And the ship blows it. Yeah, I don't got I don't got much to talk about on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so O'Brien um, seemed to get uh, the gibberish. He, he uh, seemed to get on my nerves a little bit. Did, uh, did what did uh, Kira do for you this time, James? Well, uh, I, on the gibberish, I have a little bit about the the writer actually goes into length on something that I saw online about how he wrote it, which is a little bit interesting to me. He actually, he first he just started writing gibberish, and he was like, this isn't working. And so then he wrote the whole screenplay with them actually saying... Because that's a lot of work. No, he actually went through a lot more work. So he wrote the whole screenplay and wrote all of their lines out as what they thought they were saying. Yeah. And then then broke that into, like, the traditional, how it metered. Oh, my God. And then wrote wrote the nonsense words in the same meter. Oh, okay. So it had to be like the words had to flow under the same sort of structure as the words that whatever meter they would naturally use to say the whatever line, they had to write words that fit that meter. That makes sense. It's a pretty interesting way to do it. 
because I guess not as interesting as throwing that paper in the trash and starting a whole new plot for Star Trek <laughs> when you're writing it. <laughs> I bet the actors were very happy to. Ha- oh, now I can think about my motivation while I act badly. Yeah, Ira Stephen Bayer, which I believe was a showrunner at this time, it was his story, I think. So I think it was like a pet story. He didn't normally write stories. He doesn't. It was his first writing credit. He doesn't have much afterwards. Oh, it's one he'd been holding on to when Gene Roddenberry said, no, that's dumb. And then Roddenberry dies and he can finally do the one that he wanted to do on Next Generation. This is the season where you can still tell that the Next Generation still kept the good ones. They still kept Brian Braga. They still kept... uh, uh, yeah, the guy who wrote Deep Space Nine. So they've still got the best at- writers writing their storylines. So yeah, this this oh boy, this episode had some flow issues. Kira was, I guess, she was fine. Yeah, I really enjoyed Kira in this one. So if I really enjoyed her, I scale it back to she was fine for you <laughs> because she actually does something for the first time in like three Star Trek series that frustrates me to no end. That the other Starfleet officers don't do, which is just transport somebody against their will. Oh, he just kidnaps a fucker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And contaminates him. Right. No, I thought that was a baller move. I really, I, I thought that was really cool. Mm. It was the most interesting. It's like, oh, she's not in Starfleet. She can do that kind of shit. Yeah. By not being in Starfleet, she can operate outside the rules and, you know, really, it's Starfleet still benefits. But, oh, that's true. I, she's not bound by any of that shit yeah you're right which makes her more interesting than your average first officer in starfleet yeah and in fact they should have crystallized that a little bit in the writing where he was like you can't do that you can't kidnap a big cat and she's like i don't have to follow your starfleet rules you know right and right well cisco starts to be like no i'm not gonna let you do that oh, and then odo is like a better letter. Or what if Cisco had the idea and he's like, you have to do it because I can't break these rules. <laughs> I I got a pension I got to worry about, but you don't. Another little thing that I, I thought was fun is that because it was O'Brien who, who had the aphasia symptom first, there was that one line that he has that they do it where they tease that it's fixing to happen about something about Keiko and uh, Jake and he says something, and both times I watched it, it didn't level to me because I just assumed he was using some sort of Irish brogue or using yes. some sort of like Cockney slang. And like at some <laughs> point, I would I would wanted one of the like they just go, Chief O'Brien, we don't understand you and your Cockney slang. Okay, just talk like a normal person. <laughs> well, he had too much synthahol. Synth- yes, too much synthahol. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> this is- yeah. I fell asleep both times I was watching this episode, <laughs> and I, I tapped out. Oh, you, you ran out of juice? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, I had a couple of additional points about this episode. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we we're supposed to learn something about the Quark and Odo dynamic, but it, that part seemed to really fall flat for the, for me. I don't know what this, this episode was trying to... I think they were trying to do some character development with Odo and Quark in this episode, but I felt like it really felt flat and it didn't actually it, like move the ball down the field at all. Uh-huh. Yes. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to do the Vulcan neck pinch on this guy in the bar. <laughs> yes. And I think it, we came really close to getting a, a description of the how Dabo is played and then they, they pussied out of it. Right at the end, when they're like, I don't have time to learn about Dabo. And I was like, Right. That's the only interesting thing that would come out of this episode. Oh, yeah. 
It was like Odo admitting he masturbates or something. Like I never. <laughs> it was so meek. <laughs> um, I, 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 never, I never learned, learned how to dabo. Well, and that's the thing is that that's actually one of the things that I would have. That's my thing of the week that I would change with this particular script is I don't believe for a minute that Odo, being the great detective that he is, doesn't understand how the gambling works in that establishment. (laughs) Yeah. How does he understand the graph? It's wrong for the character. Because if he doesn't. That's why he feels like he got caught masturbating because it's something he should know. And it's like embarrassing. But it's an actual hindrance to him doing a good job at his job. So, like, yeah, how is he going to know if people are cheating if or be- if he doesn't know the rules? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, just look up a tutorial on YouTube or something. <laughs> it's easy. Go to the Dabo uh, life hack section. <laughs> you you know there is if Bajor has the internet. Oh, there probably is. Now that I think about it. <laughs> We'll put that on the Tumblr if there is that. that so that was kind of that rain kind of false to me that he wouldn't actually know how to play Dabo. You know, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure he would know the rules. Right. Also, I I find it like, are we supposed to believe that Quartz Bar is just a part of his sort of financial income? More like a money laundering scheme, like, you know, like the the Bada Bing was in The Sopranos, where he's got money coming in from other off-book sources that just sort of, he's using that, it's, it's laundering that for him. Which is what I always thought, is that he was in all kinds of crap. And so three days of no business doesn't look that bad to him. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's a great point. I think the writers don't know what he's supposed to be. Because as it goes on, and there's other episodes later on the series where he's got some scheme, but I feel like they don't know what the hell's going on with Quartz Bar. Like, <laughs> does he pay rent to the Federation or the Bajorans, I guess? Yeah, I just assumed that he was like a gangster, you know, who was, if you needed drugs or you needed prostitutes or, you know, you need any of the, he was running the black market. And the the shop was just sort of his friendly face to, like, keep that afloat. Right. If he really is just, like, a booze and craps table guy, I mean, why is he the biggest threat on the ship to Odo? Like, <laughs> Right. I think that's just the writer. Like, they wanted him to be that. And then after, like, oh, wait, we have to make him likable. We can't make him that bad a guy. Oh, I guess this is before the... Age of difficult men on television exactly. where we can love murderers and shit. So, like, they are like, we can't make him a gangster. Right. Yeah. I just. It, <laughs> Wait a minute. You're saying that Quark would have benefited a lot from, like, Tony Soprano. If the Tony Soprano came before Star Trek Deep Space Nine, yes. Quark would have been a completely different character. He would have essentially been the, the little Stevie Van Zandt uh, character. <laughs> I would have been my previous statement that this is the greatest television so, show ever. This we'll say this is the greatest pre Yeah, yeah. No, I think that works. Pre Sopranos. Well, <laughs> it's still a little hyperbolic. Maybe this is the greatest Star Trek series. <laughs> this is the show we're most interested in talking about on this podcast right um <laughs> right the greatest show that we wanted to have a podcast about exactly i don't know i want court to be this more interesting character especially if they built him on like the saloon keeper from a western town 
But to me now, that's Al Swearingen from Deadwood. And Quark is a, is quite a bit like, is like the Disney version of that. Right. And yeah, yeah no, I mean, isn't he running schemes to like smuggle shit into like other quadrants? And isn't, don't they even entice him at a point where we just opened the wormhole and there's a lot of business to happen in the wormhole through people smuggling people through the wormhole? Like, I just assumed that Quark was like the good face of a pretty ugly empire. But I don't know. I don't know. These kind of shows, it, it, it bothers me. And especially that I know that they do go there eventually. But you have to sit through these like episodes early on where they're just scraping at the surface with like a fingernail. Right. You know, like go a little deeper into this. Another place you could have gone deeper is Kira actually wrestling with the fact that this virus that's going to kill everybody on the station was built by her people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that seems like it wasn't even uh, like there was no she didn't wrestle with that at all. I guess maybe it's because she grew up in a world where, you know, she was a freedom fighter and she saw her people get, you know, their hands dirty no matter the cost. I don't know. Yeah. But they should have dealt with that somehow. I felt like that was a missed opportunity, too. Yeah. Like she wouldn't care if it killed Cardassians, but she's still got to have some recognition of the fact that the whole plot it seems like a plot in like a like there was a it's a boring plot and there was way too much of it so like everybody's running around shouting their lines at each other and people are getting taken out of the script at like each act where you lose Bashir you lose everybody so at the end of it it's just Odo talking to the Ferengi and uh, Quark <laughs> and uh Quark because he's got a strong <laughs> constitution right yeah the Ferengi immunities <laughs> right because cisco passes out like a little girl immediately after he gets sick oh yeah yeah you notice yeah he finally comes down with it and then he immediately passes out right whereas everybody else powers through and talks gibbers for a while he's like <laughs> even jake was it's so funny how the virus affects people depending on how much the show's creators like them <laughs> so like <laughs> So, you know, O'Brien goes first, then Dax, yes. and then, you know, down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the show's creators likes Odo and uh, Quark the most. Yeah. And that's why they're the last one standing. But, um, no, that, I feel like this was a missed opportunity on a bunch of different fronts. Mm-hmm. Getting to deal with the Cardassian and Bajoran conflict is, is just one of them. Yeah. And here we are again. Here, we're right in front of the wormhole that's holding space gods. <laughs> and for like the third episode in a row, they don't come into play at all. Yeah, no, or even mentioned. No talk about space gods. Yeah. Yeah. The scientists that they get to solve it. He's like, oh, you're on that space station that the Cardassians used to have. That old mining space. Yeah. Yeah. The one next to the wormhole that's like saving your planet yeah. from... <laughs> economic you know failure exactly yes <laughs> that that scientist doesn't get the papers <laughs> like, hasn't, his hasn't, university hasn't been reading the news well well he's right <laughs> at his desk to take phone calls because she calls and he's like immediately what do you need and he, he's right in front of the desk and right like that's a very tv thing right you know they even had a perfect opportunity to bring that up as like Oh, he didn't even mention the wormhole. He went straight to the Cardassians. He must know something. That would have been a way to do it. Just but. little things could have worked this episode. Actually, James, if you think about it, I'm at my desk like right now. And in 2015, if you called me up on Skype, I'd be right here to hit like, 
it makes much more sense in 2015 than it does in 1993. Yes, it <laughs> you know does. what I mean. It, it does to it, answer calls at your desk. Uh, so, and one more thing that was on my mind that I was thinking of that I how does and maybe you guys know this because you guys just know Star Trek better than me. How does the universal translator system work? Yeah, is it like <laughs> how uh, magic? What? No, I thought it was like a nano technology like where it's actually implanted into your like brain somehow i don't think so so why couldn't it translate the aphasia because it had to do with perception right yeah no they explain that when they explain the aphasia they're like well it's your brain changing this thing it's the brain being aphasic not the translator right. so it well makes i mean i understand that that, I mean, because aphasia is like a real thing and I, you know like i've had the family members have issues with that it happens with strokes and stuff like that but like if it's i I assume that the nanobot translators are working with intent right this alien is trying to say this and i can right well there's no they don't they're not telepathic they just know every language so well that they can translate it so it has to be languages no it has to be formal languages it's not just looking at but it has to. But if it fits into the language structure that it can identify, yeah. okay. There's a next generation episode where the translators don't work because they have something that's not a regular language or any identifiable way that language is created, so that it can't do it. That's right. I forget exactly, but there's precedent. Yeah. yeah this this episode was pretty much awful and doesn't give us a whole lot to work with. One of the bright spots for me was the relationship between Jake and uh, his dad. I thought that was, you know, there wasn't a whole, there isn't a whole lot of examples on TV where you see like a dad being tender towards his son. Touching him. As much as Cisco is to Jake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a touching, yeah, touching him, yeah. hugging him and like, I mean, I liked that. It. it was like a moment. I mean, it's yet again, Avery Brooks is making decisions. Yeah. To work with things that he, yeah, that's true. you know, because he's like rubbing his ears and stuff. And that's like something I would do with my son if I was talking. You know, I come from a family of touchers. So I assume the, the Cisco's are that too. And so like, I no, I like that moment a lot. It was, it was. Yeah, I did. I did too. It felt very real. <laughs> yeah. See, I come from a family of not touchers. Of not touchers. And so it makes me real uncomfortable. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, my mom, yeah, okay. but like my father, no, we do not express emotion to each other. It's that's gross. I uh this is going to be totally weird. I when I like when my dad leaves or I you know, we kiss each other on the lips. I still kiss my son on the lip. Yeah, see, I don't kiss my mom on the cheek. We hug. I'll hug the shit out of my family, but kissing them, no, no, feels weird to me. But, you know, that's probably my own issues. <laughs> Yeah, so James basically would be really comfortable in the, in the Cisco home. I would be, man. <laughs> it would be all. Uh, it would be lots of jambalaya, you know, because his because fa- the grandfather is. Uh... Yeah, the food we can do, but no, that would be great. I would love <laughs> Cisco. <laughs> but I don't. I don't ever actually remember. I can't recall in 2015 a show on the air that shows genuine affection between a man and his teenage son. That's true. Yeah. Let alone a. You know, people of color. Oh, that's true. That's true. Can you guys? Um, I don't know. It's kind of revolutionary in that way. You've got an African-American man and like raising a son and being able to show that much outward affection 
I don't feel like I see that very much. Like, I'm like, that's really nice. No, I've probably like a hand on the shoulder on the Cosby show or something. That's about as much as you get, right? Yeah, yeah. And usually on like sitcoms and stuff, the kids are played for laughs. So they're like the, like I'm thinking of, because you said an African-American family. So I'm thinking of like the three episodes of Blackish I've seen. Yeah. And the kids are just all used as comic relief. But I don't know, like, what about the, the guy from the Walmart commercials and Lawrence Fishburne? Do they, like, I, I don't know. There may be some scenes where they, like, touch. But I don't think it's, like, face-to-face intimate touching like you see on this episode. And, yeah, I don't think It so. seems very organic and very real. Yeah. So I think it's a unique aspect of the show. I don't know. No, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I, no, that's it, good. Um, it's a good, yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing on the show. Like I wish, and I think that, you know, in my story of Avery Brooks is bored, like that he's, cause I know that he, there, he did go on record as saying that he chose to do that, the touching, um, and the affection. And he even goes so far, this was on a memory alpha where he goes, uh, He's like, no, I, uh, I, my parents were t- like, my, my parents were hugged in physical contact, and when I s- still see, well, what's his name, the the actor, when I still see him, mm-hmm. I Ciroc. still, it's a, when I still see Sirac, I hug him and and touch him. It's what he said. <laughs> so like, I'm like, oh, okay, so he takes it a little further, but like. <laughs> Yeah. But but yeah. that was his I mean like I think I and I think that I'm getting through a lot of these like things that I'm reading on Memory Alpha that um Avery Brooks has a f- strong familial attachment to Zorak still. So Yeah, I think that all comes through. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um a couple other things. Uh there were two references to Ren and Stimpy in this episode. What? Um <laughs> Because there are two, ref- uh, there are a reference to two episodes of Ren and Stimpy. Because the writers' room got were so contentious with each other through the first few episodes that they would take breaks as like team building and watch episodes of Ren and Stimpy. Wow. Okay. Could you explain the references? Because I am curious. The uh, the professor that uh, Kira Stoll's name was. Um, give me a second here. Sumak Ren. So Ren, okay, uh, and then um, the Cardassian that's mentioned. Please tell me his name. Stimpy is uh, Go- no, no. <laughs> Goldstimpy. <laughs> no, Goldsumpco. Oh, Spumpco. Which I guess is a Spumpco. Gold Goldsumpco. Yeah, that's John Crick of Lucy's company. Uh, yes. So, uh, so Spumpco is still pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, called Spumco. Um, and in the Q episode we'll be coming to in the next few weeks, there is reference to a planet Hoek. Oh, Ren's last name. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ren Hoek. So that's that's as interesting as it gets, buddies. <laughs> I was saving that one. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Well, yeah. Man, that was... <laughs> so, yeah, I don't... Uh... Ooh, this episode... Yeah. What a dog this episode was, wasn't it? <laughs> I hate this fucking episode, man. This is so bad. Like, it was so boring to me. And, and it was also... This so bad. <laughs> it makes you think maybe you don't like Star Trek after you started a podcast about Star Trek. Well, in the middle, my wife was watching, because she watches the first time I watch it, she watches it with me. Oh, that's nice. Uh, or she has been the last few weeks. And so halfway through this, uh, at some point, I was like, I just said to her, I'm so bored with this episode. And she's like... <laughs> 
why are you doing Deep Space Nine for a podcast? <laughs> right. And it was the wrong time to ask me that. I was like, I don't know, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm locked in. I'm locked in, yeah. So she got me on a weak point there. Yeah. No, God, this episode is so uh, absolutely boring and absolutely <laughs> uninspired. And, and But, like, if you remember, it seems like every season of Star Trek has these kind of, like, the whole the whole creative process was, damn it, we have to write twenty two of these things. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And at best we got thirteen good ideas. Right. And that's the best you can hope for for any show is thirteen good ideas. Right. So they're like, you you know, pick one off the C pile of ideas and you gotta write it. All right, what would you do to fix this episode? Let's say, let's put on your writer's hat for a second. Say, I can't change the plot. I can't change the overall plot. I got to. No, no, you, you, they get a, the phagia virus. What do you do to make it more interesting? <sighs> Wade, anything? You got anything? Um, I would uh, talk about how it's going to affect trade with the wormhole. And, mm-hmm. but, but a lot of my things that I want, I have to do with the arc of the season. but. They're still stuck in like that anthology episodic each episode by itself. Yeah. At this time in television, that it's hard for them to do that, I guess, because they have to have it self contained. I would have brought the wormhole into it or something. I don't know. I, that's, that's all I got. Yeah, I think the wormhole. More interesting. I know. I think that's a good point. Like, if you're, if you're a writer on this show and you've got some, a big dog like this, throwing the wormhole at it. Is like the wormhole could be your lifeline no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. What do you think, James? What would you have done? Well, the biggest flaw I think in it is that there's no. Typically, the best of the shitty episodes at least gives you a character to focus on. Like, how many shitty Next Generation episodes are there about data? Yeah. But you get through them because it's data. But this, whatever they chose, they chose to write a different character per act, it seems. Right. Like, you know, it's O'Brien, and then it's Bashir, and then it's Cisco, and then it's uh, Kira, and then it's Odo and Quark are sort of the main characters. So at each point you shed... So you spend the first 10 minutes almost exclusively with O'Brien, and then you never see him again. He's in a coma. And I think that was sort of what they were wanting, is getting the you know, shuttling the cast members out of commission, but I, you lose the thread there. You know, like I don't, there's right. no, you know, you can't even walk away from it saying, I think I got some really good characterization and I know O'Brien better as a character or I know Kira better as a character. There's none of that. So you're just left with, I don't know, you know, everybody had some scenes and the plot was, it was like a relay race where each person took the baton, but it's a crappy baton, you know, and so it made it to where the episode can only be about the plot line. And that's totally uninteresting. <laughs> so there was no like question. I mean, the, the drama is let's not die or the weirdo who's going to blow up the ship because he can't get his thing out of the docking ring. That's the drama. <laughs> and it, you don't even know why he's acting so irrationally. So you don't. It's just things are happening and everyone's having to deal with it. But there's no. I'm not, yeah. It, so what I would have done was I would scrap that whole idea. It, 
this is an O'Brien episode yeah. or a yeah. Bashir, whatever, whoever you want to focus on. That's actually a really good idea. That you just stay with it, you know, and you can make it like where O'Brien and the whole fifth act has to solve everything while speaking in, co- in his Cockney brogue, like where nothing's making sense. And he has to, or they have to learn how to communicate in, like with charades or something where they have to like, yeah, because once they get the virus, they're just, they don't contribute anything else. Yeah, if they had to, like, if they had to somehow learn how to solve it without communicating verbally mm-hmm. or something, that would have been the way to go. You can imagine at the end of it, by the fifth act, O'Brien's got to solve everything and get the guy, he's got to get information to Kira, and he's, like, having to charade and pantomime everything, and he's dying from this flu, like, and he looks all yeah. sweaty and black-eyed, you know, like, he looks awful. Like at the end, you see, and then like that cuts to whatever, you know, star date, we fixed the problem and you seem recovered. You know, there's like a, you felt like you went on a journey with O'Brien. Yeah, that's, that's the how to make this episode better. Yeah, that would be the one thing I'd say, but you are given nothing in this show. (sighs) Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we pretty well covered it, this uh, piece of shit episode, as best we could, don't you think? Yes, we did. I think we've talked about this episode more than anybody ever has ever. Do you think – well, better days are ahead of us. Um, yeah. The next episode is the episode where someone comes – the hunter and the prey come through the wormhole. I love that episode. It's called Captive Pursuit. I believe that's the next one. Awesome. Oh, they're back to the wormhole, see? Yeah, and the first people, you meet the first aliens from the Delta Quadrant. Awesome. So that gives us something to look forward to next week, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yes, and then we have a Q episode coming up, uh, which I don't know how people, how do you guys feel about Q? I don't know. Oh, I, we'll unpack that in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to unpack Q as he comes. Yeah. All right, guys. All what right. do you think? Should we wrap it up? All right. Yes, we polished this turd. I think so. <laughs> turd is as shiny as it's gonna get and it's all over my hands (laughs) shit (laughs) all right all right the end thanks for listening please follow us on twitter at acquisition pod and on tumblr at the rules of acquisition podcast.tumblr.com send us an email at rules of acquisition podcast at gmail.com You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.